This morning, we're going to be looking at a message entitled, Becoming the Best Version of You. Becoming the Best Version of You. We're going to look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18 is what we hope to do. But uh, have you ever heard uh, somebody say, be the best version of, be the best version of who? Yourself, you've heard that, right? So that's what we're going to talk about today. I think you see in culture lots of, uh, uh, of this. Uh, I'm mindful of it. Uh, you see articles online imploring, encouraging, trying to inspire you to be the best version of yourself. Uh, and I think there's some beauty in that statement. But think about it. Who wants to be the worst version of themselves? Like, do we, would anybody want to be the worst version of yourself? Well, of course not. So there's an appeal and kind of a beauty of, of being the best version of yourself where people want to develop, people want to grow uh, professionally, uh, spiritually, maybe, maybe in their hobbies, things like that. And there's all kinds of motivation out there in our culture on encouraging, inspiring you to be the best version of you. Perhaps you've seen some of the success posters out there that uh, they talk about your attitude and excellence and teamwork and achievement and all that. And you see them in businesses and schools and organizations and all. I just want to show you a few of these so you can understand. So here's one, believe and succeed. Success is a journey. Here's another one, make it happen. Some people want to make it happen. Some people wish it would happen. Okay, teamwork is another one here. The ability to work together. And then another one here. I think on attitude, yeah. So attitude is a little thing that affects everything. Positive attitude has a ripple effect. Change your attitude and change the world, you know. So anyway, so there's another company that came out that said, you know, that's kind of trite. And uh, that's a whole lot of kind of fatiguing people out about being all those things. So another company made fun of this company, uh, this successory company, and they produced posters that look very similar here, but the messages are demotivating. So I just wanted to show you. Here's this one that says, mistakes. Could it be, it says, it could be that the purpose of your life is only to serve as a warning to others. <laughs> and the, sink, the ship is sinking. Mistakes. Here's another one. And it's called despair.com. Okay, at Hitami National Park in Alaska. Ambition. The journey of a thousand miles sometimes ends very, very badly. <laughs> it did for that sil silver salmon, for sure. All right, here's another one. Practice. No matter how much you do it, you're still probably not that good. <laughs> now, I, I mean, practice is, practice is good, but... You have limitations, you know what I mean? You have limitations, and no matter how much some people practice, they're never going to make it to the NFL, you know, or the NBA. And so the posters are funny because uh, they're tired of the self-help industry. And so and if you're honest, self-development in our culture really, I think at times, has failed us. Now there's a lot of literature and books uh, coming out uh, that, that show that, and so uh, are we really developing ourselves into the best version of ourselves is what they're questioning there. With all the strategies and all the techniques and the conclusion really out there now is becoming, it's not working. And so now the desire to be a better version of yourselves is great, but the cultural strategy that is out there to pull it off it just stinks. And so C.S. Lewis, a great theologian, 
great uh, thinker, great scholar, talked about uh, developing yourself, a scholar at Cambridge and Oxford University, and he said this, your real new self will not come as long as you're looking for it. It will come when you're looking for him, that is Christ. Look for yourself, and you will find it in the long run, only loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ, and you will find him, and with him, everything else thrown in. End of quote. C.S. Lewis points to Philippians chapter 2 about becoming the best version of you. Uh, A very insightful passage about becoming the best version of you, but you have to look at Jesus. So I'm going to talk about four things here this morning. But before we do that, if you're able to stand to your feet, please stand for the public reading of Scripture. I'll read the even verses, if you can read uh, uh, the odd verses. This is the word of the Lord. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 12 through verse 18. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. As you hold firmly to the word of life, And then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Thank you. You may be seated. Well done. And Father, thank you that the flower fades and the grass withers, but the word of God lives on forever. And we thank you for giving us your word. We acknowledge today that we need you. We need you to open the eyes of our understanding, to open our hearts. We need you to speak to us. We need to hear the still small voice through the scripture. Father, we pray that you would open our hearts uh, and open the scripture today. We might be able to understand what you're saying and then to be able to apply it to our lives. That you would speak to us and shape us and teach us today. Oh Lord, we ask that you would do this and more in Jesus' name. And everyone agreed saying. So by way of introduction, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the church at Philippi, a church that he had started about 10 years earlier. So there's a story, we've talked about that. But 10 years earlier, Paul started the church, and now what happens, he's under house arrest, and he's incarcerated. So they're concerned about him because he could actually lose his life. So they had Paul all this time, and now his future is hanging in the balance, and he writes to church at Philippi because he knows that they're freaking out about his condition there. So now Paul is writing them, knowing that he has this incredible bond with them, unique really to that church here. And he's telling them the big picture, helping them to get some perspective on his situation. So he's admitting that, yes, I could die, but to die is only gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. He says, the things that have happened to me have happened really to advance the gospel, even though I'm here in prison. So we're going to look at four things this morning about this passage. Number one, we're going to look at the challenge, the challenge in verse 12. Then in the next verse, we're going to look at the cooperation, how we're to cooperate with the challenge. We're going to be the best version of ourselves. And then in the next verse, we're giving a command to follow. And lastly, in the last few verses there, conclusions that emerge. So verse 12 says this. Therefore, my dear friends, he was dear, and you can see his 
familial relationship there. As you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Paul is essentially saying to them, hey, it's go time to further your relationship with God, to further your walk with God. So now he's talking to them about obedience, and they were really doing well. He says, even when you, you obeyed God when I was around, but now that I'm not around, you still got to obey God. So I said, in the midst of that obedience to, to God, you want to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Oh, we're going to talk about that. And so in verse 12, then he says, work out, work out your own salvation. But then in verse 13, he says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So which is it? Is it, I got to work out my own salvation, or is it God who works? Well, it is both and. And so uh, at the same time, Christ, the Christ-following life is this, is that it takes all that you are and all that God is. So the words then are directed toward the people of God who were saved by his amazing grace then. And Paul affirms them by saying, continue to work out your salvation and obey as you've always obeyed. I love that, that a designation of the church should be, this is an obedient church here. So the Philippian church then has this relationship with Paul. A spirit, he's their spiritual father. He's been commending them. He's an example to them. He's inspiring them. He's really the illustration of how to live the Christian life. So now, though, he's gone. So in the midst of commending them, in the midst of being pleased with their progress, now he's saying, look, I'm gone. All the props are gone. So you got to continue to keep obeying even when I and the props have been there. So Paul is saying, like, look, it's a real possibility. I may never see you again. And he calls them to obedience to the teaching and to Christ. So really what he's talking about here is unprompted obedience. Now think about that. Like there are certain people that they inspire you and you look up to and they're examples and to you uh, of the faith. And when you're around them, it's like, yeah, I want to I be all out for God. I want to live for Christ. But then when they're not around, you know, you kind of have another gear that you live at. So Paul here is glad that they've grown while he was with them. But now he's pushing them out of the nest. Now he's pushing them out of the nest to follow Jesus. And even when he cannot be their motivation, their inspiration, and an illustration, and an example to them. So he says, therefore, I'm drawing this to a conclusion based on everything that you've learned in verses 1 through 11 there. This is a tip-off. Therefore, Paul's saying, like, look, the slam dunk, the haymaker is coming. you got to lock in. Everybody, boys and girls, men and women, come on, pay attention here. Be on high alert. Therefore, based on what you just Heard here, now I'm going to tell you what to do. I'm going to show you how doctrine leads to duty. Here is your part, part to play. Here's what you have to do. Here's where you take action. Paul is saying, look, you heard the information. Now comes the part for you to live out the transformation. Therefore, Paul talked about the incomprehensible humility of Jesus Christ. He talked about the sacrifice, the service of Christ. Talked about the submission to his will, the crucifixion of Christ, the, uh, the downward trajectory of a humble journey that he took. It says, now you, in light of that, therefore, how are you going to live out, walk out your salvation? And so he's saying here, look, 
No one else, no one else can walk with God for you. You have to do it for yourself here. And as long as you have breath, you need to walk out, live out what God has worked within you. So he's saying here, look, you're working out the implications of your salvation. So just to be clear, I want to talk about what this is not and then what it is. So the verse doesn't say, work for your salvation. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of works, not of works. It's a gift of God. So you're not working, obviously, for your salvation. Uh, and so you're not working at your salvation. You're not working at trying to be right with God. You're not working, you know, to, to earn his forgiveness. The Bible is very clear on this. The salvation is a gift an unmerited gift, a free gift of God's grace you receive through faith. So, so not of what? Not of works. So we don't work for our salvation, but there's the working out of the salvation that you've been given after you've been rescued, after you've been made right with God, after you've received his grace, after you've believed on Jesus Christ, after you become a Christ follower, after you're a son of God, a daughter of God, part of the family of God, the challenge then is therefore, after that, now work out your salvation. Knowing that God will do anything and everything to help you to walk out your salvation. So you're to express outwardly what is true inwardly. Let the inside out is what he's saying here. And so the Bible says, watch, work out whose salvation, your neighbor's salvation, your spouse's salvation, your friend's salvation, or whose salvation. It says, work out whose salvation. Count of three. One, two, three. Yeah, your salvation. It doesn't say work out everybody else's salvation. You've met people like that, right? Like they're trying to work it out for everybody else. There's a major annoyance there. They're going around trying to police everybody, and they point out and figure out, you know, they need to change here and change there, and they're not ready. And they're trying to work out everybody else's salvation. But the Bible doesn't say that. It says you are to work out your salvation. And the word work out, it's a mining term in that culture of which there were tens of thousands of people working in mines. So they all understood when he said work out, but they got a mental picture of somebody that was mining there. And so, uh, and of course, in that culture, they needed metal for their swords and uh, spears and armament, but they had a military uh, armament. And so think of then the miner. And the miner then uh, digging for ore, working, sweating, washing, and all that. And, uh, and they're trying to pull out all the treasures of the earth there. So extracting the precious ore, they had nothing to do with it getting there. But it speaks to us about mining out like the richness of your salvation. Mining out the life that Christ has for you. And so do you think they sweat a little bit? Somebody in the, in the tent, did they have to sweat? Was it hard? Was it difficult? Yeah, and walking out, living out your salvation, it can be difficult. And so the minds then uh, were to be worked in such a way as to extract the utmost value that was in the mind. So Paul is saying, work out, mine out. In other words, accomplish, walk out your salvation. Make it a reality. 
bring it to conclusion. Bring it to its completion. Uh, walk it out in obedience to the Lord. He says, look, don't stop halfway. Don't get derailed. Don't end up in a ditch. Paul's saying, look, don't live your life so close to the edge like many people today do. Okay, living by the, on the edge there, thinking they're going to be okay. Paul's saying, look, live out your lives that you can complete your salvation. Not on the edge, living on the edge of temptation. I can handle it. I'm okay. Yeah, that's a well-worn path that millions of people have been down, and you can handle it. So you need to be wise there, but you might go off the edge. And so live in a way that you understand the pitfalls, the difficulties, the challenges of, of uh, your life such that you can hit the finish line. Okay, so working out your salvation is not easy. Again, think of the minor. Look, you're never going to be free from hardship. You're never going to be free from temptation. You're never going to be uh, free from the challenges of life, of opposition, of discouragement. You're going to face all of that. And in the light of that, he says, walk out, live out your salvation. Work out your salvation. It is a lifetime work. So think about positioning yourself. If you're young, you're a young adult. Think about the trajectory of your life that you have. That, uh, that you can live that life out, that you will follow Christ all the days of your life, working out your salvation. So when I was a young adult, I was, a, I was walking behind a few men, uh, John, Dr. John McGregor, Dr. Dick Nusma, Dr. Uh, 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 one other doctor, I can't think of his name. Anyway, so I'm walking behind them, and they're about where the cross is, and I'm about here, and I'm looking at them, think, I want to be like them. I'm a, young, I'm a young guy. I want to be like them. I want, to, I want to live my life like them. And I've been chasing them, and their example, all of my life. So to, to be like them, they've given their lives to God for all of their lives and served him in their generation. And it helps to have a, a Paul like they did in your life, that you can have a Paul, somebody you can look to and say, I want to be like them. But my point is this, is that I set my heart upon it as a young man, 20, 21 or so, uh, and maybe 22, I don't know. But this is a young guy, and I said, I'm going to be like them. And so my whole life, been living that out. And so what might include then to work out your salvation? I want to give some examples of, of that. For example, uh, it might include breaking up. It may include breaking up in a relationship may include breaking up in a, in a toxic relationship or a relationship that's just pulling you down and keeping you from you really working out your salvation. See, it could also include working out your salvation. Maybe for some people, they need to check into rehab. I mean, you will never work out your salvation as long as you have that addiction. Perhaps for others, working out your salvation, maybe get a little serious about the porn deal. Okay, and by the way, in the worship guide, there, there's resources for that. Uh, and so maybe working out your salvation may include working on your marriage. Maybe it might include getting counseling for, for, for things you're wrestling with. And so working out your salvation, watch, with fear and trembling. In other words, this is not something to be taken lightly. This is not casual, like, yeah, you know kind of working out my salvation. No, with, with fear, with fear of God, and, and literally trembling. So this is very, saying this is very serious. Uh, this is very important to God. It's an attitude that says, God, I can't do it without you. I can never do this on my own here. 
to fear and to tremble before him and to say, Lord, I can't live this life, Christ-following life, without your help. Speaks of a deep reverence uh, of understanding this. To work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Well, what's more important than this? What compares to this? I mean, the Christ-following life. God's idea, God's church. He's building his church and all. And so what can compare? Nothing. So it's with fear and trembling before God here. So nothing is as important as working out your salvation. So number one there was a challenge. Number two here, verse 13, you have to cooperate with God. So there was a challenge. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, well, how do I do that? Well, here's how you do it. Next verse. For it's God... Just in case you're wondering, you know, how am I going to do it? It's all being, no, 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 no. It's God who works in you, both to will and to do, okay, that is to work, in order to fulfill his good pleasure or purpose. In other words, watch, the ability to obey and work out your salvation, it's supplied by God himself. Like God says, I'll do it all for you. So the working in the original language is where we get our word, our word energy from. And so it means a, a sovereign energy, a, a sovereign enablement. It is God that is sovereignly enabling you, energizing you to do it. So it is God who, who works. So you see how the human responsibility work out your salvation. Coupled with them, it is God who works, giving you the divine resources so you can work out your salvation. And God gives you the will that is the desire that is the passion to work out your salvation. Watch. So he stirs that within you, and then you want to do it. You have the want to, the internal want to. And so the power of God's Spirit then gives you the will, and the will power, his Holy Spirit power to do it. Have you ever felt this in your life? I'm asking you a question. Have you ever felt sort of a sense of a, a stirring? kind of comes out of nowhere. Your, your heart just begins to get stirred a little bit, and it, and it doesn't go away. Maybe it's a tugging. Maybe it's a sense of a little tap on the shoulder there. Maybe it's a, an awakening or a, a renewal a, 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 of an awakening there and a desire to do something of God's will there, and that's him. So that is God. That's what this is talking about. God stirring within you the will to do, uh, to do it. And so to walk out is good purpose. So recognize this, you're under construction. God is working within you to do his will. So sometimes, how many people know this? Sometimes my will bumps up against God's will. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. I'm very strong-willed, and sometimes my will bumps up against God's will. And you, you have a sense of it, but your will is is bumping up. And then you're thinking like, how do I merge my will with God's will? So, uh, so how is this then? He says, God works in you, okay, both to will, to give you the desire. Let me give you some examples from my own life. So when I came here to California from Oklahoma, finishing school there, and uh, did not know the very, the first thing about working with youth, had no concept no idea, had never worked with youth. And I came to a church down the freeway and I had this strong sense uh, within me, feeling like I'm hearing God's voice, you need to work with youth. And so I thought, I'm just going to roll with it 
And so I went and I asked the lead pastor, I said, hey, and the assistant pastors, and so um, I said, hey, uh, you, you need a, do you have a youth pastor? you have a youth guy? They said, no. I said, you want me to be, the, just like that. I'm gonna, I said, you want me to be the youth guy? Slow down a little bit, buddy. Let us ask you a few questions. Answer the questions. Check all the boxes. Yeah, we want you to be the youth guy. Out of nowhere, show up, and I'm feeling it. I think I'm supposed to do youth. Act on that. Okay, there's a desire. Then the action comes to talk to them. Then the action comes that in the next Sunday, I'm doing Sunday school. And then on Wednesday night, I'm doing the youth of two kids. Two kids. In fact, one of the kids that came was, was right here that was in the youth group. Jackie, right here. Jackie was in the youth group. Isn't that true? And I go, give Jackie a hand there. She endured me back then, and she's enduring me now. And so uh, then uh, that season uh, is over and did some other stuff and worked at a, at a church. And then I had another stirring. I had a, and then it became a, a great passion. That was all I could think about to do a Saturday night service called Saturday Night Life. And that was just, I'm not kidding, just down the freeway, did that for 13 or 14 years, and it was just rocking. It was hundreds of people, it was just rocking. Uh, and then though, that kind of, after 13, 14 years, done with, done with that, I felt like it's over. And then another stirring, the same thing, happening over and over again, a stirring then to do a church. I did the same thing. I didn't know a thing about church, didn't know a thing about starting church, and here we are. Okay, so all I'm saying is, this is how God works. There it is, to will and to do. Puts it in your heart there. And so uh, you're under construction, and, and sometimes, sometimes we struggle with that process. What I would say to you is this. When you feel that stirring, you feel that tug, you feel that tapping on your inner heart, then just lean into it and keep leaning into it. And see what God does there. So why does God put the desire within you? Why would he do that? How are you going to work out something of your salvation if there's no desire? That's why God will do that. And so how are you going to grow? How are you going to grow spiritually? How are you going to grow in godliness? How are you going to grow in serving? How are you going to grow then if there's no desire? So it is God who is at work within you both to will, then eventually the will becomes the doing. The action then, for it's God. See, it's God alone. It's not you plus God, no. It's God there. It's God who is with you, God who is in you, and your responsibility is to cooperate with God. For it is God who, who, who works. God is a divine source. God is the, the originator. God is a divine causa, cause, causative uh, uh, influence there. It is God who works in who? In you. In who is you? You is the non-physical like, part of you. God working in your intellect. God working in your emotions. God working in your heart. God working in your will there. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do. Notice it begins with the will. Begins with the heart. Begins with the emotions. Begins with the desires. It's God who works in you. To will. God goes after your will there. That internal want to. That you want to do it. That's why David could say that I love to do thy will, O God. And so my own story, like some of you, you grew up in church. You had that great advantage. I didn't grow up in church. Like I thought church was a joke. I used to drive by church and think, what in the heck are people doing in that building? Like, like why, would, why, would, 
Why would they go to that building? I could never figure it out. I could never connect the dots there. So I never wanted to go to church. To me, church was sort of just, you know, I got better things to do. Church was sort of to be avoided. And, uh, and whatever happened in a church building, to me, had nothing to do with my life. Had nothing to do with my real life here. And so it registered on the interest scale, a big fat zero. There was no interest whatsoever. But then Jesus got a hold of my life. Same thing, stirring in my heart. Just even to know him. Okay, and then after that, now like I love church. I, I, can't, I, I, I just love church so much. And I love what God loves, his church. So it has radically, cataclysmically changed because of this. God is at work in you. That's my story. You have your story. To will and to do what his desire is. See, after desire, then comes the action. Then comes the work. Like James said, the half-brother of Jesus said, you say that you, have, uh, that you know God, show me your faith by your works. It needs to come to expression. So it needs to affect, eventually, the stirring of your will, your desire, affects your, your doing, your activity, your actions there. So to feel what? To fulfill God's purpose. God's pleasure, God's satisfaction, God's desire, God's delight there. So now we look at the next three verses here. We have a command to follow. And some people, I think some people might hate this verse. But we're going to do it anyways. Do everything, what's it say? Without grumbling. That means complaining. That means whining. That means grudging. Or arguing, that means disputing, empty, you know. So this is a word for saints that have complaints. I don't know if we got any of those here today. But this is a word for saints that have complaints. And so what are we going to do with this? When it says do everything without grumbling or complaining here. So why does God say don't complain? Why does he tell us to stop, you know, the empty arguing and complaining and bickering and, and all of that? And so... Let me ask this. Does complaining spread? Is complaining uh, uh, contagious? Yeah, it is. It totally, totally is. You get around complainers, and, you'll, and you, you start to adopt some of their attitude, and it'll get inside you. And so, but here it says, like, look, and how many people like to be around complainers? Does anybody enjoy that? All the negativity spewing out. Do, you, do people enjoy that? It says, look, so don't just do something. Do everything. How many people need to, don't raise any hands. You need to hit the reset button. Okay, when it says, do everything without complaining, arguing and all, to grumble speaks of who? Speaks of the person that's just discontent. You know, they're just discontent with their life there. And so, so to grumble then means to kind of like under the breath, kind of a growling, arguing, kind of a, a, kind, of a, 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 a kind of stirring things up. That's what the, 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 uh, the arguing means. So when we're complaining, think about this. Think about this. The Bible says then, Bible says then that, um, uh, that our steps are ordered of the Lord. The steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. Now think about that. Hold that thought there. Your steps are ordered of the Lord. Then if you're grumbling and complaining and whining about your circumstances, your steps that have been ordered of the Lord, what does that say about you? See, you might, you might have a problem with God ordering your steps. Have you ever thought about that? And so, now, do we have things to, to uh, grumble about? Absolutely, we do. Absolutely. I mean, uh, there's always things to grumble and whine about. No doubt about it. 
I'm not, I'm not in any way um, minimizing that. We live in, in, in bodies that are broken and decaying and don't function the way that they used to and can have pain and diseases and issues. I, I, I get all that. We live in a broken world. Uh, uh, the people are broken, and then they need Jesus. And so, so there's a lot of things to complain about. And in the Old Testament, we see this. Uh, the, the children of Israel there are putting on a clinic on how to complain. It says in Exodus 16:2, in the desert, watch, uh, just a few of them, a few straggling, the whole community, two, there's two million of them, the whole community grumbled against the leaders. It's the leader's fault. It's the leader's fault that we're here, and uh, it's their fault. And yeah, you know, um, something about, too, you just crossed the Red Sea. Something about the children, of, uh, uh, the Egyptians were buried in the Red Sea, and now you're complaining again. So I get it, you know, the desert in 40 years. I, I get it, but grumble, grumble, grumble. And so I, the acknowledgement is life is lumpy. Life is not fair. There are intense problems in life. Uh, but those, but if you, how you react to those things can really undermine you and undermine God's working his, his salvation through your life. So he says, look, when he's talking about, by the way, this is one sentence from verse 14, 15, 16, one sentence about uh, working out your salvation, but it is God that's working. And here's the first thing that's laid out. Don't grumble and complain. I think part of the problem is this. Americans live in a standard that's so far above the world that we become a nation of complainers. So it's just natural. It's like cultural just to complain. And so, and you know, the primary source of complaining then is me, is my heart that the complaining comes from me. The grumbling and the complaining, the whining, the negativity. Where does it come from? It comes from the heart. The mouth just speaks the things that are in the heart there. And so he says, look, here's a command. I remind us all, it is a command. He says here, do everything without complaining or arguing. Moses was beside himself with the children of Israel there. So just know this, it is a serious thing, a serious thing to complain about your life there. Uh, when you think about it, you complain about everything happening horizontally on a horizontal level there here uh, that you're dissatisfied with. What about uh, if your steps are ordered of the Lord, then you're complaining ultimately against the steps that he has ordered. Maybe the issue's with you and you need to kind of have a vertical dimension to sort that out. And so I'm going to read just one more verse here, and then we're going to conclude because we're getting out of time. So your heart here, watch. Here's what your heart needs. Your heart needs, your heart needs grace and not grumbling. Your heart needs grace and not grumbling. Grace and not grumbling. Last verse. So that you may become. Watch that. Do you recognize today here, like you're becoming something? Okay, you're becoming more like this, blameless and pure, children of God without fault, in the midst of a wicked, that's a warped, crooked, perverse generation. And in the midst of that, you're, become, you're working out your salvation. But if you're given over to complaining and arguing, how are you going to become pure and blameless? And so he says, then you're going to shine as stars, as lights in the world. And so imagine if God was to write a rec recruitment 
retirement brochure. I think it would sound something like this. Situated right in the middle of a dark and perverse city is a perfect place for you. With rampant materialism and self-centeredness and sin, and there are abundant false religions that abound. This is the ideal retirement for you. Imagine encountering the walking dead every day while you have the never-ending opportunity to tell hurting people about the love of God through Christ. This is your chance. This is your chance to escape the ordinary. This is your chance to escape the boring and to experience real living, real Christianity, working out your salvation. Just text 1-800-SIGN-ME-UP. So here's my question to you. Here's my question to you as I close. Where is Jesus calling you to shine as a light in the darkness? How will that, where is Jesus calling you to shine uh, as a light for him as part of working out what God is working in? This is your best life. This is, this is the pursuit, and I'm, I'm not done. I still have more to, to unpack, but this is the way to you becoming the best version of you. Right on? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. What a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Thank you, Lord, that um, you speak to us. Your voice is heard through the scriptures. Thank you, Lord, for all that we heard this morning. God, I pray that we would cooperate with you, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Father, that we would follow your, your commands and everything, to, to not to uh, do everything you can, not to grumble and to argue and whine. And Father, I pray that some of the conclusions that were unfolding, that we just touched on, that you would speak to us again and again, that we might shine as lights and hold fast to the word of life. We pray that you would do this and you would do more. In Jesus' name, amen.